Good morning, church. Trust you're having a great week this week. Things for us here at the church have been really busy with Jesus Cares, as you may or may not know. Um, We've been delivering out supplies and provisions that we have received in abundance. You know, God has been so amazing to provide so many things at this time so that we can support the communities in which we live and even beyond those communities. We're working with local councils and other agencies just to get people, supplies and food, just to be a blessing. So it's wonderful that we as a church, as a people, are a city on a hill displaying the light of God's love in amidst need, in amidst crisis. So keep praying for us here at the church. Keep praying for our volunteers as we prepare and pack hampers and also as we deliver them out into the communities that we are reaching. Keep us in your prayers. Uh, We just want to be a blessing to people and we want to show God's love in the provisions that we give out to them. Keep us in your prayers. Well, today we're going to continue on in the line of messages that we've been looking at over recent weeks, faith for a great future. And you know, I really do pray that as a church family, we have a strong, great, persistent faith for the great future that God has for us. And last week, you'll probably remember that we looked at four imperative commands in James chapter 1 in the portions of verses from verse 1 through to verse 8. We saw that James gave us four imperative commands in the words that he uses to follow. In fact, when you read James's letter, the five chapters, there are actually over 50 imperative commands within his letter to those scattered, dispersed Jews throughout the nations. And actually, overall, in the New Testament, there are over a thousand imperative commands that we are given contained carefully in words that have been selected and phrases that have been used. And these imperative commands give us guidance, bring correction and admonition and encouragement for us to follow so that we can live in the fullest blessing of life that God has for us as we go into this wonderful faith future that he has for us. Well, last week we finished up with that imperative command that James gave us as he instructed us to ask for God's wisdom. When we feel unable to cope with life's problems, when things get too much for us, when we feel as if we're sinking into the circumstances about us, James says, listen, it's not the end. We, we are not in a hopeless situation. We're never at a dead-end crisis point. No, he tells us that if we're in lack, if we're in need, ask God for wisdom. You know, one man once said, when life only hands you handfuls of lemons, you really only have one of two choices to take. 
You can either endure the sour, bitter taste of what you're holding in your hands, or you can choose to take those handful of lemons and turn them into sweet lemonade. Do you know, I think that's a good philosophy for life. I think that that's good Bible theology, and it's the kind of theology teaching and philosophy that James is directing us towards. When life hands us a bitter, sour experience, when we're left in circumstances that seem bigger and beyond us, we can take those sour experiences and examine them afresh under God's wisdom. And as we encounter that wisdom for which we ask, I believe that the unchangeable things, the immovable fixed things about our future begin to get reshaped, reworked, and changed for the better so that we can go forward with great hope and great, great assurance and expectation into the future that God has for us. That's the power of God's wisdom. That's the power that we have access to. We simply have to but ask for it. And that intervention comes in our lives. You know, as a parent, Many times I ask God for wisdom because I realize that I don't necessarily have all of the skills that need, that my children need for me to parent them. Some of the issues that they face, some of the questions that they ask, some of the places that they are and stages that they are in life, I don't have the necessary means to meet and help them with and in. But you know, I ask God for wisdom and that wisdom comes in many different shapes and sizes to get them through and take them on into a better place. And we're all learning. You can ask God for wisdom when it comes to helping your children face the problems that they face. You, we can also ask God for wisdom in relation to financial situations that may seem to be at a stalemate. We can ask God and that wisdom will come and give us fresh perspective about the financial situations and the financial pressures that we might have. God's wisdom makes the difference. God's wisdom helps us to go on through it helps us in our problems and in our crises and the things that we're struggling with. You know, sometimes we have life issues that seem bigger than us, besetting sins, besetting problems. Well, we don't just have to live in defeat. We don't just have to live guilt-ridden, plagued by the same old problems, plagued by the same old sins. No, we can ask God for wisdom and God's wisdom will bring us on through into freedom. And into that new place of life and living. God's wisdom will give us power over the things that we struggle with and struggle in. And James implores us. And he encourages us. Listen, if you're in lack, if you're in need, ask God for wisdom. Who gives to all, he says. 
God doesn't show partiality. God hasn't got any favorites. He wants you to win. He wants me to win. He wants us to triumph. He wants us to come on through the test with great testimony. And James assures us that God is so good. God is so loving. He, gets, he doesn't get a kick out of us, you know, constantly banging our head against the wall, not knowing the way to go forward or the way to get through. No, God loves us being victorious and seeing us triumph in life and he loves to come to our aid with his wisdom in all of its fullness in all of its abundance listen to James again in James chapter 1 verse 5 what he says about asking God for wisdom it'll bless you if any one of you lacks wisdom how many times have you lacked wisdom how many times have I lacked wisdom? And how many times are you going to need this in the future? You're going to need to know that you can go to God. He says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. James assures us that God is ready to act when we ask for wisdom. He will abundantly provide it for us. You know, I was thinking back as I was reading that verse of a time when I was in class, many times when I was in class, in school, and I was afraid to put my hand up in the class and ask the teacher for help. I was scared because I'd seen the teacher belittle other students who'd asked similar questions to the questions that I wanted to ask. I'd seen him publicly humiliate them and wipe the floor with them and scold them in front of everybody. So I just decided to sit in silence and settle for ignorance. And you know, many of us have this wrong, distorted view, this wrong, distorted picture of God, that if we were to ask him, he would be condescending and cold and critical, and he would rebuke us, and there would be reproachive tones in his voice as we come to him. So, you know, we, we don't ask, we just choose to sit in silence and settle for ignorance, but God takes no pleasure in our ignorance. God takes no pleasure in us settling for silence because we're afraid to ask. And James wants to bring clarity. James wants to encourage us. He wants to tell us, listen, you never ever have to sit in silence. You never have to fear being humiliated or belittled by God. God will give liberally and abundantly to everyone that asks. He'll never ignore your request. He'll never ignore a humble heart that comes to him in need of answer. No, God will attend to every need. God will attend to every cry. God will attend to all of the, all of the cries of our heart. It's the promise that gives us great hope and great security. So listen, why don't you start asking God 
for his wisdom in life's problems, in, in, the, in the things that perplex you. Why don't you start asking God for his help and you will find. And I can say this with confidence on the assurance of God's word. I can say with confidence that God will give you what you ask for in great abundance. And your problem will become a wonderful testimony, a wonderful treasure where it breaks open with God's rich wisdom for it. Now today we're going to listen to the thoughts of a man who lived 3,000 years ago. His name was Agar. And we don't know much about Agar, but it's possible that he was a Gentile that came to know Israel's God. And he had some wise things to say. And his writings and his comments are contained in the Word of God because of his wisdom. And we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 30 today. And what we're going to see is a man who is self-effacing. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And he writes with a practical down-to-earth pen so that we can understand what he's saying and apply it to our own lives. We're looking at wisdom today. God's wisdom for life and living as we go forward into our future. Let's just read a small part of what Agar wrote in Proverbs chapter 30. And from his wisdom, we're going to draw four truths, four points for our lives so that we can go forward into everything that God has for us. Proverbs 30 Verses 24 to 28, Agar observes this. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their homes in the crags. Locusts have no king. Yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. Agar, through what he writes in these verses, points out to us that some of the biggest lessons in life are taught to us by some of the smallest creatures in God's creation. Now usually when we want to look for life examples to follow, we look for role models that are above us. We look up if we want to model, if we want to find examples of life. We look to those Mount Everest type personalities that seem to tower over everybody else. We look up as we admire and speak about their virtues. Our world would say, if you're going to get life role models, people to follow, examples to be like, the obvious direction is to look up. We do this all the time. Personalities, larger than life figures with more than a million likes on YouTube. We gravitate to them. 
or multi-million subscriptions on Instagram. Giant-like figures that have attained world-class status. And these Everest-type personalities that tower over everyone else, they're the ones to look to. That's what our world would say anyway. We look up to find our examples. But Aga doesn't look up to those larger-than-life personalities that are all around him that capture everybody's attention. Aga does something different to everybody else. Whilst the majority were looking up to find their meaningful living, Aga looks down. He looks to examples of wisdom that everybody else had missed. Nobody else had seen or considered. He sees wisdom and truth to be found in little creatures beneath us all. These are the overlooked, the despised creatures that became the object of Aga's attention. And he points to them because for Aga they offer a new way of life and living. He refers to the ant, to the coney, to the locust, and the lizard. And he remarks about them as he observes them that they hold not just wisdom, but extreme wisdom for us. Now, as we've seen, James points out that we are to ask God for wisdom. It's vital that we have it if we're going to go forward faith forward into a great future. Wisdom is a vital component that we must have as God walks with us. But this wisdom that we ask for, that God gives so abundantly and liberally to everyone that asks, usually comes in the most unlikeliest of ways. And Agur sees this. Agur sees this wisdom Maybe in this moment in Proverbs chapter 30, Agar was looking for wisdom. Agar was asking for wisdom. And then suddenly God gives Agar wisdom in abundance. But it comes from the most unlikeliest, the most uncommon of places. From the ant, from the coney, from the locust and from the lizard. Now Agar doesn't say it, but these creatures have no real beauty that we would admire them. They're seen as pests, as ugly in appearance, as awkward. But for Agar, they are extremely wise and they carry a message for life. And he points to them for us to gain wisdom and guidance as we go towards a great future. These four little creatures that seems so insignificant, carry a message about God's wisdom that if we will heed it, will bring us great blessing and great success. Today, from what we've read, we are going to pick up just on four points regarding God's wisdom that come from these four little creatures that Agar focuses on. The first point that we're going to look at about God's wisdom is this. God's wisdom urges us to prepare for the future like 
the ant. Listen, it's easy sometimes to default into the thinking. Whatever will be, will be. No, we are not to default into such thinking. We're not to default into that hopeless state of thinking to leave our future to chance. God's wisdom urges us to prepare for our future just like the ant and agar sees that. We're going to look at that in a moment. Secondly, we're going to see that God's wisdom shows us our weaknesses and offers us protection like the coney. If we are wise, we will recognize that we are weak. We're not as strong or as powerful as we sometimes might like to think. We're frail, we're vulnerable. But that's a positive thing that wisdom enlightens us in because our weakness generates a dependence on God and gives us access and a doorway into his strength and protection and help for our lives. We're going to look at that in a moment. And thirdly, we're going to see that God's wisdom gives us power with others, like the locust. Solitary confinement is a form of torture, not blessing. We need one another. We're created for community. That's where our power lies, and the locusts understand that. And Aga saw that and commented about it. And then fourthly and finally, we're going to see that God's favor gives us provision like the lizard. These four points we're going to look at today in order to extract messages for our lives where we are and where we are going and where God wants us to go in our lives as we follow him. So let's look at this first point as we begin today. God's wisdom it urges us to prepare for the future like the ant. Now this is an important message for some of us, more important for some of us maybe today than others. Because right now you know that you are in a season of preparation. A season where you are working for what's ahead. And the word that keeps coming to you is stay strong, remain diligent, keep preparing because the right moment is going to come when all of that preparation is going to be required and it's going to yield great results and you're going to reap a great reward. Galatians 6, 9 Paul encouraged the church at Galatia about their preparation and about their good work. And he encouraged them and he implored them not to lose heart or to faint or to give in. Listen to his words in verse 9 as he encouraged them in their hard work and in their pre preparations for their future. And let us not grow weary, he said, while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. This is an amazing picture 
of people working hard, of people preparing for their future. But in all of their preparatory work, in all of their good work, there was a tendency to grow weary. There was a tendency to throw in the towel. There was a tendency to say, oh, look, this is too much. This is too overwhelming. The dream that I once held in my heart, I'm growing tired of because what's required, I don't have to give anymore. And they began maybe to question the good work that they were doing and the preparations that they were undertaking. But Paul comes in and he injects life into them. He injects the Spirit of God back into their hearts so that they would continue on in the good work because he did not want them to lose ultimately that great harvest, that great reward that they had been working towards. And he says, listen, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Continue to do good. All of the preparations that we will make and that we are making and that some of us know we're in a season of are about to yield great harvest if we do not lose heart. We've heard it said, fail to prepare and we prepare to fail. And God doesn't want any of us ultimately to land in failure. He wants us to reap a great harvest, a great reward, whether that's within our lives personally or whether that's in the lives of others. We've just got to keep on going through, keep preparing, keep going forward and don't lose heart or grow weary in the work that we've undertaken in the preparations that we are making You know, I heard a little story of an older man as he gave advice to a younger man. And his his advice was just simply contained in three words. And he said, son, if you want to have a great future, if you want to succeed at anything in your life, if you want to achieve your goals and your dreams, I've got three little steps, three little stages for you to follow every day. Number one is prepare. Number two is prepare. Number three is prepare. Preparing for a great future now enables you one day to enter into everything that God has planned for you. Preparation is the key word for some of us more than others. And the word of God to you is continue to prepare. Don't give up. Don't throw the towel in. Olympic swimmer, champion Mark Spitz was once asked how he won seven gold medals in the 72 Summer Olympics. He said, it was simple. I just spent eight hours a day, seven days a week swimming in the pool for four years. His strict dieting, sacrifices, and training regime prepared him for the one moment to compete against the world's best, and he excelled. The ant that Aga sees fascinates him because he sees a creature of tireless preparation. As this minute creature is beneath him and before him, 
He's working to prepare for the future. And Aga says, ants are of little strength, but they store up their food in the summer. It's a picture of preparation, preparing for the future. You know, when you think about an ant, you could never label them as apathetic or lazy, could you? You know, you've seen it. Well, while we're relaxing at the table, eating our food before your feet, there's little ants, trails of them, looking for crumbs three times their size to carry back on their backs to their nests. They work feverishly, diligently, repeating the process of preparation day after day, moment after moment, hundreds and thousands of times in the course of the seasons. They're diligent because somehow they know that they have to gather now, prepare now for winter is ahead of them. Ants are three-dimensional creatures. Out of the instinct of their past, they use the present to prepare for the future. This is wise. This is wisdom. And Agar sees it and writes about it. You know, in contrast, that's very different to many people. Because very often people aren't three-dimensional They don't think in three-dimensional ways. They think one-dimensionally. For some, the only dimension that they choose to live in is the past, sadly. To live in the past is to think that the best is always behind you. And there's, there's, there's a tragedy about that, that people live continually in the past Mourning over what has been because it is no more. And then there's other people. They don't live in the past. They just live in the present. That's the one dimension that they are consumed by. It's the only dimension that they think of and they know. Everything has to be now. Everything has to be today. They have a just do it philosophy. If it feels good, it must be good. Just do it. Or if it looks good, just get it. Everything is about the now. And then there are others. They don't live in the past. They don't necessarily live in the present. They live in tomorrow. Their minds are so far into the future that they struggle really to operate with any significance in the present, because they're continually procrastinating their decisions. They say, well, tomorrow I'll pull things together. I'll make amends. I'll do it right. Tomorrow, when the children have grown up, when they've left home, we'll spend more time with each other. Tomorrow, when I get a job, tomorrow, when I get the necessary means of finances, and on and on it goes pushing the needs of today into tomorrow. But tomorrow never comes. But Agus sees the ant as a three-dimensional creature out of the instinct of its past. 
It uses the present to prepare for the future. I think the biblical writers would want us to understand as they wrote the book of Proverbs that we have to use the word of God that's been written in the past to take it up in our present to prepare us for our future. This is wisdom. In the beginning of the book of Proverbs, in the first few chapters, you hear the loving conversation of a father with his son. He's preparing his son for his future in the present. He's giving him warnings and advice and insight from the past. It's the meeting of a loving dad with his son. And he's doing his utmost to prepare him for what's ahead of him. He's taking the wisdom of God's word spoken in the past, bringing it into the present to prepare his son for his future. And that is what the word of God does for us. And that is why Paul in Colossians 3 said, let the word of God dwell within you richly. Hold that word from the past that's been spoken in your heart presently and allow it to marinate your life and prepare you for everything that's in front of you in the future. Aga tells us that the ant prepares for the future and God's wisdom urges us to prepare for the future like that little ant. Now, if the ant knows what time it is in life, it's a time to prepare. The coney knows where its security is found. The second point that we're going to look at today is this. God's wisdom shows us our weaknesses and offers us protection like the coney. Now, I don't know if you know what a coney is, but it's a little animal about the size of a small rabbit. Some call them rock rabbits because they live in the rocks and the stones about them. They're actually the same color as the landscape that they are in. And it gives them a great ability to hide and a great ability to camouflage themselves from the prey that's around them. Verse 26, Aga says this, Conies are creatures of little power. They're weak. Yet, they make their homes in the crags. They use their weakness for their advantage. Their weakness gives them a dependence on a strength that's outside of themselves. And this is what Agar is pointed to. This is what Agar is seeing in the little coney that's in the rocks of the wilderness about him. The enemies are all around them. And the enemy of the coney are stronger, more aggressive, more powerful than they Vultures, mountain lions, and wolves 
are just some of the predators that would seek just to rip them apart and destroy them if they could catch them. But you see, the coney hides itself in the crags and the cracks of the rocks about it. Their enemies would have to tear down the mountainsides to get to that little coney that's hiding deep in the strength of that rocky crag in which it finds shelter. And it's simply impossible for them to be preyed upon, for them to be vulnerable, because they access an impenetrable strength in the crags in which they find in the rocks about them. You see, the coney knows where its security is. By hiding in the rocks, it's acknowledging that in and of itself it has no inherent strength. It's weak. So it looks outside of itself to find its protection in another. Now here's the wonderful message for us that can be drawn from Agur's wisdom as he writes in Proverbs chapter 30. Wisdom acknowledges that we are weak. Wisdom acknowledges that we are vulnerable, that we have many enemies that are preying on us many times, possibly in our physical bodies, possibly in our mind, in our imagination, and in our emotions. We are pressed on every side sometimes with enemies preying in on us, and we are weak, we are frail, we are powerless in the face of all of these powerful forces that come from every direction. But our weakness gives us access into an impenetrable strength, a strength that's outside of ourselves, a strength that, that is only found in God. It makes us dependent. And that's the positive message. We don't just look at our weaknesses hopelessly, not knowing what we're going to do. No, through our weaknesses we find safety, we find security outside of ourselves in God. David in Psalm 61 came to a place of tears, a place where he was painfully aware that he was inherently weak to do anything in light of the forces that faced him, that were about him. Yet as he acknowledged that he was weak, his heart reaches to the Lord and he finds strength and protection outside of himself in God. This is the wisdom that Agar is pointing to, signposting us in. That there's... Weakness within us, but wisdom shows us that we have a strength in God that's impenetrable. Psalm 46 verse 1 to verse 4 says this, and it's David speaking, and you can hear the pain and the weakness in his mind and in his heart. But then the resolve and the wonderful renewing effect of knowing that there's a strength in God that's there for him to hide in. He says this, verse 1, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. 
When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. I tell you, have you ever been overwhelmed in your heart? Have you ever been perplexed, mentally confused, not knowing where to turn, not knowing where to go, trying to do everything and everything fails and then suddenly in that weakness, in that moment of vulnerability, in that sinking moment where you think, do you know what, I'm going to go under in all of this, suddenly you find a rock that is higher than you. You find an impenetrable strength about you. It's the strength of God to take you through. And wisdom shows us, the wisdom of God shows us, yes, that we are weak, but it enables us to access his protection and his strength for every point of life that we face. David knew that he was weak, But his weakness became a doorway into God's omnipotent strength. The Apostle Paul, on another occasion, pleaded with the Lord three times for a thorn in his flesh to be taken away. It made him weak. It made him stumble. Oh, he struggled with this thorn because it caused him to lack strength. And to become powerless. And he wanted the Lord to remove it. But God would not remove that weakness from the Apostle Paul. Why? Because God knew on the flip side of that. That weakness would give Paul access into wonderful strength and provision for his life. Listen to him as he talks about it. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 and verse 10. God talking to Paul in response to his pleading for that thorn to be removed. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul now talking, therefore, in light of what God's just said, that his grace would be made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says more, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul takes pleasure in his weakness. The wisdom of God showed him that aspect And that dimension of life that he could actually use his weakness for his advantage. So that he could access God's impenetrable strength. The ant knows what time it is in life. It's time to prepare. From its instinct about the past, it uses its present to prepare for the future. And God's wisdom urges us to prepare for the future, just like the ant. Don't give up, child of God. Keep going. Stay diligent. Prepare in all aspects of life for your future. 
For in due time you will receive a great reward and harvest for all of that preparation that you've undertaken. The ant knows what time it is in life. It's a time to prepare. The coney knows where its security is found. It's not in its own inherent self-strength. It doesn't have any. It's weak. It knows that its strength, its protection, its security is outside of itself. Agur sees that. And God's wisdom, God's wisdom shows us our weakness. But in showing us our weakness, offers us a wonderful protection and security of life. A source of strength in God that's completely impenetrable. Next, after the ant and the coney, Aga's attention turns to the locust. And he sees that the locust understands and knows where its power comes from. Point number three, God's wisdom gives us power with others like the locust. Verse 27, Aga says, locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. You see, the locust knows where its power is. Its power is in community. One locust poses no threat, but swarms of locusts bring nations to their knees. Locusts have no king, no commander, and yet they can get into regiment. They can get ordered together instinctively, and they have a power in their community that is formidable. That brings nations to their need, their knees. Locusts have no power individually, but their strength is found in community. And Paul giving us an understanding of community and the community and the communion that we have with one another pictures us not as great individuals. Not having need of one another, but pitches us as a body of people. He says we are members joined together just like a physical body. He takes that picture of order and wonder and wisdom of God. And he says the body of Christ is just like that human body that God has brilliantly designed. But this is a spiritual body and every person is a part and every person is a member and we're all fitted together in wisdom. And there's an order about it and it's spiritual. Paul doesn't ever look at a scattered, membered body. No, he sees, the, he sees every part joined together, doing its part ordered under the head, Christ Jesus. On another occasion, he uses the analogy of a building, living stones fitted together, taken from the quarry of the world, chosen by God and joined to that wonderful cornerstone, Jesus. But there's a joining, there's a community, there's a communion with one another. The locusts understand that. They understand that their power comes from the community that they are in. And as believers, we understand that too, that our community is powerful. That as we join together, 
Our, our presence with one another brings about the corporate blessing of God and anointing and life on it. And there's power there. We're not isolated stones. We're not dismembered as a body. No, we're joined together. On another occasion, Solomon said that a man who isolates himself rages against all wisdom. No, we're not to isolate ourselves, but wisdom comes through many counselors that when we come together, when we collect with one another, and when the community of God's people come as a family, there's strength and there's power with one another. Listen, I know that it's difficult today to meet with one another in one place, but that's going to change soon. I want to remind you again that your power isn't in the building of your own life as an individual. No, your power is as a result of being a part of the body of Christ, being a part of that holy community of God's people. And it may be difficult to meet corporately today, but why don't you, over this next week, make a decision to call five people, five friends, five other believers that are part of our family here at King's. Call them up, encourage them. Maybe just drop them a text or a WhatsApp message or maybe just join one of the Zoom chats that we have with one another. You know, at this time, when, when this virus have, has segregated us and separated us and we can't join together corporately, that's the time that we find power in our community. Yeah, we might not be able to meet in this building, but that doesn't limit us in calling one another, messaging one another, and encouraging one another. You watch, you call somebody, and you will not only empower them and bless them in response to your call, they'll bless you. Go ahead and do that this week. I encourage you. And let's be a blessing in encouraging one another. You know, James in his letter in chapter 2, verse 9, warns about segregating people. He warns about partiality. He warns about favoring one type of people against another type of people. And we must never, ever divide the community of God's people. We must never discriminate in the family of God's church on the basis of how a person looks, on the basis of where a person has come from, on the basis of their condition in life. I want to read it to you because it's really important. And I believe, you know, that this is, this is a, real, a real important thing that we must always have before us as a church and as a family of God's people. James is very strong in his words and in his admonition to those who are listening listening to him and to those who he's writing to. He says this in verse 1 through to verse 9 of James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing 
the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. You have not shown partiality. Have you, sorry, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you who dishonored the poor man, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you do well? But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. James was really strong in his direction as to how to build the church in, in, in relation to how we are to conduct ourselves with one another. We must never ever make judgments based on people's experience, based on where people have come from, and based on their condition of life. We must never favor the rich over the poor. We must never say, hey, you go sit at the back and you come and sit at the front based on what people have materially. And I don't believe we do, but honestly, we must always be careful that we never ever show partiality or favor to one above another. Because God's people are a community, are a family, and each and every person, each and every member are there because they are chosen, hand-selected, and picked by God. Whether they've got a lot of material possessions or whether they haven't. Everyone is precious and everyone is paid for by the blood of Jesus. Well, I know we're going on a little bit today, but listen. Let the dinner roast in the oven. Put your feet up, make another cup of tea, and listen to me for a little minute more. We've looked this morning how... God's Word urges us to pre prepare for the future like the ant. We've also looked at God's wisdom, how it shows us that we are weak, but it offers us protection and access into an impenetrable strength, just like the coney. And we also saw how God's wisdom gives us power with others like the locust. And finally today, we're going to look at how God's favor gives us provision like the lizard. God's favor enables us to have entrance into places that are out of bounds to others. Finally, Agar sees the little lizard maybe running about his feet. And of the four little creatures that he observes and talks about, possibly the most difficult one to define and to see the significance of was the lizard. He says, the lizard can be caught by the hand, but it's found in king's palaces. When he says this, it seems as if he's talking about something that's a contradiction. 
A lizard can be caught by the hand of a man, and yet it's found in such a stately building as a palace. It's a contradiction in terms. It's a contradictory message that the lizard has in its existence. You know, many years ago, Faye and I were visiting South Africa. We were on holiday there, and we went to an amazing resort just outside of Johannesburg called Sun City. And uh, it's quite an amazing place. And in that resort, there's, a, there's a, a hotel called the Palace Resort. And it's an incredible, magnificent, palatial building. It's exquisitely decorated. The accommodation is luxurious. The service is impeccable. And it's a rich, opulent, magnificent environment for you to relax in. Of course, it's very expensive. No expense is spared. And you have to have a lot of money to get a room in there or even a meal. Well, obviously, Faye and I weren't staying in the hotel. We couldn't afford it. The prices were too high. We were actually staying in a worker's accommodation that we knew through uh, previous times that I had been in South Africa in Bible school. And we just, you know, were sleeping on the floor in a worker's accommodation in Sun City. It was great. We loved it. We didn't Mind it, but I remember just standing at the edge of the palace resort, wondering what it would be like just to get in there. And you read about the presidential suite occupying the top floor of the palace, and it all seems so magnificent. And one day, you know, we just went to walk up just to have a little look around in the palace resort, and suddenly we were stopped by one of the stewards, and they pointed to a sign that we had missed. And the sign simply said, non-residents not allowed to go beyond this point. Non-residents not allowed or not permitted to go beyond this point. And we just had to sit, we had to stand in the distance and just look at others, enjoy that palatious, opulent environment. But as I looked around, I remember just seeing a little lizard crawling up the wall. It was in the palace resort, unhindered, unafraid. And it was just enjoying the opulence and the richness of that environment, of that palace, of that hotel. And it was probably, you know, thinking about it now, making its way up to that presidential suite. And it was probably going to come down in its tux later and just gorge on the banquet that was going to be set in front of all of the guests. That little lizard had free access, free entry into the most opulent of buildings. And Agar picks that up as he may have seen just a little lizard freely accessing Solomon's great palace, one of the most 
opulent places in the world. One of the most wonders of the world at that time. One of the most greatest wonders of the world at that time. Agur sees a little lizard in an environment that was barred to others. But this little lizard had free access. And he's amazed by it. And he comments on it. And he says that this is wisdom. This is extreme wisdom. You know, what is the message from that little lizard? What is the message to us that Agar is pointing to? Well, we have access into the most wonderful presence, the presence of God. We aren't high and mighty in nature. We are not strong in background. We have no uh, great assets, really, that would give us access into such wonderful presence. We have no attributes that would really afford us entry into such wonderful presence as God's presence. But we have access, just like that lizard, little lizard. And Paul picks up on this as he writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through to verse 26. Listen to what he says. For you seeing your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We, just like that little lizard, have been chosen by God to have access into the most glorious presence whereby we can come boldly before that wonderful throne of grace to obtain mercy and aid, and service from God, no matter what the time, no matter what the hour, no matter what the situation, we have open access. And Agur sees this little lizard openly having access into opulence and palatial environment that so many would have been barred from. This little lizard has entrance into it and it's a prophetic picture, a prophetic projection of our lives that we have access into the most wonderful presence and aid to the most wonderful assistance in God's presence. Today we've seen how God's wisdom urges us to prepare for the future like the ant. Maybe this season is a season for you to prepare and to continue on in preparation for the future. We've also looked at how God's wisdom shows us our weaknesses and offers us 
impenetrable protection. Just like the Coney finds in those rocky crags that he hides within. Also, we've looked at God's wisdom. How it gives us power with others. Like the locusts. Our power and our strength is not in the building of our individuality. Our power and our strength is in our togetherness as a church community. His body. His building. And finally, we looked at God's favor, how he gives us provision. Just like that little lizard, we have access into his presence and entrance and an introduction through Jesus Christ to the Father. Do you know, let's take these words today. Let's take this wisdom that's given today. And let it marinate in our hearts. Today it could be a day where you know that you have to continue to prepare aspects of your life for the future. The great future that God has for you. Diligently do that. Don't squander time. Redeem it. Don't just allow the future to unfold carelessly. No. Prepare for the future. For others of us, we may need the assurance that there is an impenetrable protection that God offers. God will lead you to the rock that is higher than you. When your heart is overwhelmed, when there's concerns in your mind about the future, no, God wants you to know that there is that protection that he affords to all his children. We don't have to give way to the voice of our fears. No, with the children of God, with the family of God, with the people of God. And he protects us even amidst the weaknesses that we have within the frailties of our lives. Let's know that. Let's be assured by that again today. For others of us, we may need to know that our power isn't dependent on who we are to become. No, our power is in the community of God's people. And that's why Paul continually, continually put before the church the pictures of Christ's people being a body, being a building, and other images he uses to show the wonderful strength and the power that we have as a community. Finally, you may need to know that God favors you he enables you to go into places that are barred from others. He enables you to come into his presence. He enables you to come before him, no matter what the time, no matter what the hour, to find grace and mercy in the time of need. I'm going to wrap this up today by praying and asking God to give us wisdom in the situations that we find ourselves in, in life. That we would know with confidence that we don't have to sit in silence ignorantly before God and just let life map itself out before us. No, we have access. And God, through his word, implores us to ask. Let's ask today God for his wisdom as we go forward into his future. Let me pray. Father, I pray for your people today. 
And Lord, you see the life situations that we are in. You see all of sometimes the unseen forces that prey on our mind, prey on our hearts, prey on our emotions. Sometimes it's an overwhelming experience, life itself. But Lord, I thank you that you come into the midst of life. You come into the darknesses of our experience and you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, we can ask and we can call and immediately we find assistance from you. Father, we want to thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And Lord, you come to us and you help us and you are with us. In fact, you promised Jesus and we know it to be true by experience. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So Lord, as we go forward into this wonderful future that you have for us, we know that it's not going to be problem free. We know that there's going to be challenges ahead of us. But Lord, I pray that we would we would listen to that imperative command that comes from your word, from that servant that you use, James, to ask for wisdom. For when we ask, you will give it liberally to anybody that asks for it. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. And I pray for your peace upon your people. And if you're listening today, you may never have asked Jesus into your life. Do you know what? The, 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 the first thing to, to understand is that God loves you. He really does. He loves you and he wants to care for you. And he doesn't want to be some kind of dictator that tells you to do this, that, and the other. Every moment he wants you to know that he cares for you, he loves you, and he wants to save you. Listen, why don't you pray a prayer with me right now? It's a simple prayer. It's not complicated. If it had been complicated, I wouldn't have been able to pray it. Pray this prayer. You're going to ask Jesus to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from that sin and to set you free from it so that you can walk in a life with him whereby every moment of the day you'll know his presence and his peace in your heart. Say these words with me and believe it. And I'm telling you, a miracle will begin today, the moment that you start praying. Say this with me. Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin. I believe that not only did you die for me, but God raised you from the dead and you are alive forevermore. I want to have a relationship with you now. I ask you to be my savior. I ask you to come into my heart and give me the peace that I need and let me know that you will never leave me or forsake me. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, a miracle has happened. A miracle has begun. I guarantee you will know a new level of peace and you will know God's presence, the abiding presence of God that will never leave you or forsake you in life. Why don't you drop us a line, maybe via email or 
just through uh, the other social platforms that the church uses. Drop us a line. We'd love to know if you prayed that prayer. And in the future, we'd love to contact you and just let you know how you can be involved and you can be a part of the family when we get back together. Listen, God bless you, church. Have a great week. And um, we will be praying for you. Please continue to pray for us as we go forward in our work in Jesus cares, delivering food and just being a blessing where we can be a blessing. God bless you. Have a great week. 